Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to gather around your words. We ask you to use our time tonight as we study and learn of Jesus' heart to work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that our lives may reflect your love. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. If you've been around churches for a while and you've read the Passion History, those are the stories of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion and death. The parts that I don't like the most is I really don't like reading about Good Friday. I don't know about you. I like it. I love it. It it is critical to my faith life, but I just, I don't like reading it every year. I don't like reading it when it comes up in my daily devotions. It's that great reminder of my sin. Great reminder that God had to take on flesh for me. And then I get to this section. Oops, I must have pushed the wrong button. I'm supposed to be, there we go. Go back to the picture. There we go. Fun buttons. I, I get to this picture, and it's the second least favorite moment of the entire Passion. And it's my second least favorite moment because you look at who's present. The guy standing there in the really nice, fancy robes. First of all, if any of you know where this is taking place, this is in the Middle East. And this is not normally a, a cold location. And that's most likely all made of wool, if not linen. That's really warm. But you see the guy standing there and he's decked out. And he's decked out because he is the premier religious master of the entire Jewish people. He is the scholar of scholars. He is the brightest. He is the best. He has dedicated his life to knowing the scriptures And if Jewish rabbinical tradition holds true, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy quote any three words from those five books and he could tell you where they were from. Three words. That's how smart he was in knowing it. If you wanted to sit on the Sanhedrin, the seat of 70, that's the rest of the guys standing off behind the guy in the fancy with the... You had to also be able to, but you, you were given a few more words. These are the brilliant, best of the best religious scholars in the entire Jewish community. And there in st- front of them stood the Lord of creation. These guys dedicated their lives to understanding the entirety of the Old Testament, to understand every law, every ritual, everything that was to be expected of the coming Messiah, they knew it by heart. And there in front of them stood the Lord of creation, the Messiah, the one that they had seen raise the dead, the one that they had seen give sight to the blind and heal the leper, the one that they'd seen heal the lame guy. And they don't want to listen. The hearts of the wisest of the wise of the day were blinded by their wisdom. Were blinded by their version of religious, of what the Messiah meant. And they were so blinded by their own version of religion, they were not willing to listen to truth who stood before them. 
the one who literally wrote the words that they had spent their lives memorizing. And he doesn't respond. The heart of Jesus doesn't give in to their foolishness, to their foolishness of what their version of religion is. Do you know somebody who says, yeah, I go to this because it fits what I want. It fits my picture of what I think it should be. That's the foolishness of wisdom of today. Religion fits what I want. Not the Lord of creation who designed and set it all out says this is what worship is. We create and craft it and then in those ways we are just like those Pharisees and those Sadducees and those teachers of the law who are so smart that we stand before Jesus and bring our own false witnesses of our own hearts because we want it to fit in us. We want our religious beliefs to fit who we are in our context that we're in so that we can say we're still religious, that we still think we're doing good the whole time standing there as a Pharisee, bringing false witness after false witness, lying to ourselves and lying to those around us. And in Jesus' heart of wisdom, he speaks nothing to the fool. He doesn't acknowledge the foolishness. And therein lies his wisdom. His wisdom understood what was happening. His wisdom understood that for him to fulfill his mission, for him to be the Messiah, he not only had to do the miracles to reveal his deity, he had to also fulfill the prophecies. The prophecies that said, for false witnesses will rise up against me and breathing out violence against me. Ruthless witnesses will come forward. Ruthless. You can, the Hebrew word for ruthless is also false, fake witnesses will come forward. He had to fulfill these prophecies. He couldn't just fulfill the parts of the Old Testament prophecies that showed, man, he's going to be a guy who does great miracles. There are going to be people who want to be around him. No, he also has to fulfill the prophecies of pain and rejection. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. These were things that if you did this to a person, you could be stoned. If you walked up and plucked somebody's beard, nowadays people pay money. It's called waxing. Back then, that was an offense. That was, a, that was, a, that was an offense, capital offense. You spit at someone, if a, hus- if a wife spit at her husband, that was grounds for immediate divorce and she could be stoned. Huh. Apparently it's not quite like walking State Street on late at night. That's what he's dealing with. He understood, his wisdom understood the, pro- the, the prophecies that had to come. And then you get to Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one who, from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He's not just, he's, he's bringing us, Isaiah 700 years before Jesus, is bringing us into that picture that says, we too are like those fools of the Pharisees who despise him as we turn to our own version of wisdom and our own version of religion that fits who we are for what we want in the context we're in. He says his wisdom said, no, I have to endure all this because if I don't endure this, my payment means nothing. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
How many of you take insults really well? Somebody says something about you in class, you're just like, oh yeah, that's great. The person in line at the store cuts in front of you and makes a muttering comment under your breath. You never have road rage where somebody cuts you off. Never happens. He is sitting there enduring the worst of what could be leveled by those who were the experts who were supposed to by their jobs. The high priest's job had one job, stand in God's place for his people and proclaim forgiveness of sins to God's people on God's behalf. And there in front of him, the high priest blasphemed God himself and Jesus took it because he knew the only way to redeem him was to endure it silently. Sometimes, Really old guys have really profound things to say. This really old guy from 1600 wrote about it this way. He still allowed himself to be regarded as a fool and permitted a covering to be pulled over his face. He's referring back to the fact that he is God himself and God himself is allowing a covering to be put over his face so that he could once more win for us the true divine wisdom which imparts a shining brightness to our heart. Through it, illuminating light of the knowledge of the brightness, the glory of God arose in the face of Christ. He's saying he had to endure that in order to restore the knowledge of God, the divine wisdom that was lost in the Garden of Eden thousands of years before. Because it hadn't been since the Garden of Eden since mankind had known God. Not just, I know God, I know the facts about God, but to know God in an intimate and personal way. He said the only way that that relationship is going to be possible is if Christ endured the beating himself, walked through all of it, so that he could give to you and to me the shining brilliance of the light of the gospel that we may know and experience the forgiveness of God and know a God who is not angry and wrathful and vengeful towards us because he had his son endure all of that in your place. Jesus' heart of wisdom stems from his identity. He knew his identity. It's one of my study points. I've read it in multiple places and I can't prove it. So I'm going to share it, but I'm still working on proving it. It said Jesus is asked 300 questions in the Gospels. Out of 300 questions, he answers every question with a question but three. He only actually answers three questions in the entirety of the Gospels. That's one of them. One of the only times he actually answers is when the high priest, who is God's representative, even as he is taking the beating from the person who is supposed to be his representative to the people, he respects the office, even though he deplores the person and he's there to redeem that person. He respects the office because the high priest puts him under oath and says, I command you under oath to reply. Jesus, Lord of creation, submits and answers one of three questions that he provides an answer to. And he says, I am. 
And he provides an answer which pulls us all the way back to Moses when God says to his people, when Moses says, who am I supposed to say has sent me? He says, tell them I am has sent you. The covenant name of the, old, of the Lord from the Old Testament. He invokes the name of the Lord. He says, I am the I am. His identity is sure. He's not shaken by what they're doing to him. He's not shaken by his surroundings. He knows that his identity is secure because of who God, his father is, and who he is. And he says, I give that to you. He gives us that heart of wisdom that says, you don't have to be shifted around wondering where do I fall? How do I, how, am I a Pharisee today? Am I this? He says, you know what your identity is. Your identity is secure in who he is and what he has done for you. That his love has redeemed you. He has bought you. He has paid for you. There's nothing in your life that he has not forgiven and he has a better life for you than every other version of wisdom around. And that wisdom is found when you understand your identity is first and foremost found in him. And he closes out and he says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. He says, not only do I know my identity, he then closes out with, I know my mission. That last line was a, was a reference that the high priest would have understood as a reference to the fact that he is the one who is going to be sitting on judgment day. And instead of the high priest judging him, he is the one who will judge the high priest. His mission will have been completed. That he had redeemed humanity. That he had paid the price. That he had forgiven sins. We go back to Johann Gerhard from 1600. Christ teaches that a person should look beyond the cross to the ensuing certain joy and the glory of which, are, which the unfailing truth of God promises to all who carry their cross after Christ. You see, Jesus' heart of wisdom understood his mission, and his mission was that this cross was not the end. The end was the empty tomb and his resurrection that, and then his ascension. The cross was a blip of a moment in all of history to restore that which was broken, to bring glory back that you and I might know God and that we may know that joy, that certain joy. I sit with a lot of people who, who are walking in life and they're just struggling to find contentment and joy and understanding in where they are. When your heart of wisdom says, I understand my mission and my joy is found not in what I do now, but in what is coming next. I can have joy in the worst of circumstances. And don't confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is that emotion of it's my birthday and I get to go out and I get to party and COVID is gone. That's happiness. Joy is that peace and contentment feeling that God gives in the midst of the worst of storms that allows me to trust and not be overwhelmed. He says that's what enabled him to walk to the cross, to be silent before everyone. It's because he knew what was on the other side. He knew what was on the other side is that you and I get to spend eternity with him, that we get to know him and experience him and live today and eternally in that joy, the joy that only God can give to you. You see, Jesus understood what real wisdom was all about. 
Wisdom that can only come from the Father. Wisdom that can only be found in the Word. Wisdom that is found in understanding your identity is only in who Christ is and what he has done for you. And wisdom that understands your mission is the mission that he gave to Christ to make him known, to walk with him. And you get to receive that joy today and every day. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give to us the amazing gift of faith, that you've brought us into your family, that we get to experience that joy Lord, where the Pharisee hearts dwell up within us, lead us to confess. Draw us back to you. Let us live today and every day drawn closer to you, the forgiveness you've won, the identity that you give, that we may live on mission with you. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. We join together in Luther's evening prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. Forgive me all my sins and graciously keep me this night. Into your hands I commend my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.